Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 27, and you really could go to like Genesis 28, because we're going to be at the end of chapter 27, going through chapter 28 today, as we uh, continue our series through the book of Genesis. And uh, as we get started in this, have you ever felt like you're just wandering in a wilderness, wondering what's going to happen next, not really certain about what's transpired in your past, and maybe even more uncertain about what God's going to do in your future. Why don't you pause a minute and think about a season where that's been the case for you. Maybe it's now. Maybe that's the season you're in now. Is to recognize and say, I, I, I just feel like I'm in the wilderness today. And maybe it's you look at a past situation or circumstance and you go, this is someplace I've been. And no doubt there's going to be those times in the future where you face seasons where it feels like you're wandering in the wilderness. Today specifically, that's the, the, the reason I ask that question is because that's where we find Jacob. And you're going to see more of that here in a moment. But we find him encountering the Lord in the midst of the wilderness, alone, most likely scared and having no idea what was going to happen next. Now, on your sermon notes handout, you'll notice that there isn't any blanks to fill in. I know some of you really like those blanks. And the reason I didn't put anything there is because in today's narrative, it's really, really important that you don't get caught up in trying to look at all the details and you focus on one thing, which is the heading on your notes. And it is this simple statement that God stands above it all. God stands above it all. And why that's significant will become very apparent as we walk through this. But I want to remind you where we pick up the story from last week in Genesis 27. Last week we just ended and saw a mess. Everyone say a mess, a mess where Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, all of them were doing things that were just in their flesh. Uh, Both parents had their favorite children and Esau was just driven by his own fleshly desires and Jacob fell just into the pattern of deception. All of these people would have known 
the promises of the Lord. And yet they took matters into their own hands. And we see the sinful flesh of people. And last week the emphasis was on this reminder of how could God use these sinful people? Because He's a God of grace. And His grace is something in the definition of grace that we can't earn. It's unmerited favor. That God will fulfill His purposes through these messy people. And that's both a burden when we realize how messy things really are, but it is also a praise because it means that no matter how messy things get in your life, God's grace and His faithfulness never change. Amen? (laughs) Praise God. But now we pick up the story right after Jacob and Rebekah have deceived Isaac and Esau. And verse 41 of chapter 27, look at what it says. It says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. In other words, my my dad's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Verse 42, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said, And behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Think about that statement. Angry, bitter. Verse 43. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Now, Laban, this name should sound familiar if you've been walking with us, because this is exactly where Isaac sent the servant, or, sorry, Abraham sent the servant to find the wife for his son Isaac, okay? Abraham, when he was near death, sent his servant and said, go to the land of my people and find the person, the servant. You remember, Rebecca watered all those camels as the servant had prayed. It said there that the Lord answered before he was even done speaking, the servant. This is Laban, okay, the brother of Rebecca, And this is where she tells him to flee. Stay with him a while, verse 44, until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I bereft of you both in one day? So Jacob is being sent away with no timeline here about when he's going to be able to come home. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. These are the women that Esau had married. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now what happens after this is Isaac blesses Jacob and then commands Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman. Now what's interesting about this is as Isaac blesses Jacob and affirms you need to go, Because this whole family dynamic is not good. Everyone say not good. Right? Things are not well here. And Isaac blesses him, but gives him this command. Don't marry a Canaanite woman. And Esau happens to be listening in on this conversation. And what's interesting is what we see here that follows 
is Esau attempts once again to re-earn the blessing of his father. Even though, as we look back on his, the pattern of his life, it's been affirmed over and over again that God's going to use Jacob, and Esau rebels over and over again, and he's already married these other Hittite women, Canaanite women, but he hears his father talk about this. He goes, oh, maybe I can, maybe I can do this better. And so look at... Uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 28, when he says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael. How interesting is this? Ishmael being the son of Abraham through Hagar, when Abraham and his wife, Sarah, took matters into their own hands and Ishmael was born. And God promised, remember, God promised that he would, there would be 12 princes that came from Ishmael and he answered that prayer. We saw that in chapter 27. And so Esau hears about this, sees that it pleases his father that Jacob not marry a Canaanite woman. So he goes to Ishmael. And took as his wife, beside the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Okay, so here's a simple observation in this. We see in Esau's character, once again, his earthly focus. And in fact here, what, what we see missing in the person of Esau is there's no desire here to please the Lord. Rather, I see this is what my father wants. It's just like when his father asked him to go hunt wild game so that he could bless him. No falling back to what has the Lord said? What has God commanded? Church family, may we not respond as Esau does where we focus solely upon this earth, where our eyes are fixed so much on the horizontal that we lose sight of the vertical, which is simply rooted in what has the Lord said? What has God said? Now, the scene shifts, and we find Jacob traveling in the wilderness, and I want you to take note of something. It's estimated, and estimated, okay? I don't know, I have specific factors. This is around a 500 mile journey from where they were to where Laban was. There is nothing recorded here that Jacob had a company of people with him. What we see is that he was alone, and he's sent off. So, Walking 500 miles through the wilderness. Because remember, the Lord had not yet given the territory into the hands of His people. It was a promise that is fulfilled later on in Scripture. So He's wandering in a land that's not His own. And He's got a 500 mile journey. And look at verse 10 of chapter 20. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And you thought your bed was uncomfortable. 
Some of you can't even stand tent camping. We don't even see he has a tent. He's just laying on a rock. But look at what happens next. Verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, there's several observations that we can make here. Number one is this activity between heaven and earth in his dream. Now, understand this is a dream, but it's not uncommon for the Lord to speak to his people in dreams. So there's no reason to assume that this was not indeed the Lord, especially with the reaffirmation of the promise that was given to Abraham. And I want you to take note of how frequently we see that reminder. Why does the Lord do that? Two reasons. One, we are forgetful people. Anyone disagree with that? We forget. There are days when you walk into the kitchen and you forgot why you walked into the kitchen. Right? We are forgetful people. But two, it's not just that we are forgetful and need reminded of these truths but also that God is faithful and consistent. That He comes back to these core truths because He is consistent in these truths. He will bring to pass exactly as He has purposed to do. And He will not let us forget that. Now we could choose to turn a blind eye to that. We could choose to ignore those things. But that does not make God any less consistent in rooting into what He has promised. We see this activity between heaven and earth. And what does it say about God in the midst of that activity? The Lord stood above it all. It's a place of control, of authority, of sovereignty. God stands above it all. Do you see that? And the angels back and forth beckon at His call to do His will. Another observation that we just mentioned was the reaffirmation of God's promise. But then there is a fourth observation here and it is the reaffirmation of God's presence with Him. Verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Have you ever stopped to consider that even in the wilderness, God is present? It may not feel like He is present, but I'm going to tell you, you don't get to dictate where God is present and where He's not. 
When we recognize the Lord is all present, He is present everywhere. We don't get a say. We may feel a certain way, but again, as we talked a few weeks back, we need to be able to identify and go, this is what I feel. This is what's true. And the truth is, you don't get to tell God where He is anywhere. He is, and He stands above it all. And this reaffirmation, how merciful of God. To reaffirm to Jacob, and and especially in light of the mess, that God would show up and say, Behold, I am with you, not, not just when you're walking in righteousness, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. Now, there's another conviction in this, or there should be, and that is the simple truth that Adam and Eve experienced clear back in the beginning of Genesis, is that you can never escape the presence of the Lord. So when you convince yourself that you're hiding from the Lord in your sin, you are fooling yourselves. You cannot hide from Him. He is everywhere. We get this idea in our minds that we are masterful at hide and seek. And it's no different. So, so often I come back to this. We are like spiritual toddlers. And I absolutely love playing hide and seek with my kids because I win all the time. Now, I will say there was one instance that we looked everywhere. We could not find my daughter, Briley. And they have this corner table in their room. And it's hollow on the inside. When I built it, I built a shell around it. And they had pulled that, their beds out. She had crawled in there and then her sister had pushed the bed back. I'm like, where is she? I couldn't find her. Not so with the Lord, okay? You cannot hide from His presence. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. Now this is a different promise from the Lord than it was from Rebecca, who said when it's safe... I'll call for you and you can come. It was this great unknown. But here the Lord affirms this. And so, simply put, in verse 15, we have these statements that are present. I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. I will do what I promised. Listen to those again. Because this is where we should find great hope. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. I will do what I promised you. Philippians 1 chapter 6, verse 6 says, I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, one, the Lord has begun a work in you? And some of you may be sitting here and you go, I don't know what the work the Lord's doing is. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's the work that began... The moment the Spirit of God began drawing you to the Lord. And if you happen 
to be drawn in such a way that you come to faith in the only way, Jesus Christ, then that work continues in Jesus. And that work, here is probably the hardest part for us, that work is not done as long as there is breath in your lungs. As long as you are breathing, He is still doing a work in you. Now, you may be stubborn, and you go, I don't know what you're talking about. I done arrived years ago. No, you haven't. According to God's word, you have not. And even the Apostle Paul said, I strain ahead to what is not. Being reminded of what already has been and what is. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's not done with you yet. We need to hold fast to this church family. But so often we either A, are convinced that because I'm wandering in the wilderness, God is absent. He's not doing anything. Or we convince ourselves that, ah, I'm old enough and I've heard this enough and I'm experienced enough that I'm, I'm seasoned. I don't need any more. And both are foolish ways that we try to push aside the work that God is calling us to. Because it's not easy. This is not an easy work. In fact, briefly turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Keep your finger in Genesis because we're going to come back there. But go to Romans chapter 8. When we think about the Lord being with us, keeping keeping us, not leaving, doing what He promised. I can think of no greater place to go through the power of Jesus than Romans 8, starting at verse 31. This is what it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, don't don't you go prosperity on me and assume that all things here means all the things you want. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is give us all things according to his will and according to the good work that he began in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Recognize there, that is an active statement. Jesus is interceding for us today. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because it is only through Christ that we have access to the Father. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God and intercedes on our behalf. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Everyone say no. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. When God says, I am with you, I will keep you, I will not leave you, I will do what I promised you. He means it. In Christ, God is present in us. In Christ, God has sealed us by His Spirit. In Christ, God has promised to bring us home. In Christ, our salvation is secure. And in Christ, we can hold fast to the promises of God all the way to the end. You see the correlation? But it is only in Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. It is only in Him. Now back to Genesis 28 for the last portion of this. Because what we see next is Jacob's response at the end of this. Verse 16 of chapter 28. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Now, Jacob does here what we often do and is oblivious that in the wilderness, God's control over everything is including the wilderness. And being made aware of this by his dream, he recognizes the Lord is in this place. Surely, this verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How many times do we wander in the wilderness and we convince ourselves the Lord is not here? And then we posture ourselves in a way that truly says, I don't believe the Lord is present. And yet in this dream, the Lord reveals himself to Jacob and reminds him of his presence, even in the midst of what we could argue at this point in Jacob's life is one of the most difficult seasons he's ever faced. Driven out from his family. In the wilderness, going to a land he did not know. To seek out people he had not met that we are aware of. And all motivated out of fear because his brother was going to kill him. It was not a fun vacation. And in the midst of that, he forgets that the Lord is present. And he changes his posture when he realizes this. Do our actions... Here's a hard question for you, okay? Do our actions reveal that we believe the Lord is with us? Does what we do say, I believe that God is with me? Or not? Second question, what would change in our lives 
if we looked at this like Jacob does here. Oh, the Lord is here. I need to change my posture. Really quickly. To a posture of awe and worship and wonder. And it brings a follow-up question. How would we posture ourselves differently if we truly believed the Lord was present with us? How would we posture ourselves differently? Now, if, here's, here's the frustrating part of this passage. If Jacob had stopped here, it would have been sufficient. And instead, we get a glimpse at the continued immaturity as Jacob now vows to the Lord. Look at this last section, verse 20 through 22. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, And will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. What did Jacob do wrong here? God, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you will be my God. Wrong response. Right before this, on point. God is in this place. Just posture. I need to change how I am responding in this moment. Because I have made a grave error. And then in a moment, we're right back where we started. Oh God, you know what? If you do all these things that I want you to do, then I will make you my God. Stop. This is exactly what some of you here today are doing. God, if you just resolve this crisis in my life, then I will believe you exist. God, if you just would heal this illness that has been plaguing me for months, then I will believe that you exist. God, if you would just bring me out of the season that I'm in right now, then I will believe. The Lord stands above it all. If you are continually waiting for God to do what you want Him to do before you entrust your life to Him, I fear that you are in danger of being separated from God for eternity. Church family, God has already revealed Himself to us in more ways than we even recognize on a regular basis. All creation declares the glory of God. Male and female, He created them. In the image of God, He created them. As you look around at the people around you, these individuals are the very image of God. He's revealed Himself to you in each other. God has revealed Himself to us in His Son. That He so loved the world that He gave Jesus. And we would have the audacity to sit here and go, God, if You would just do this, then I would believe. No, no, no. 
Instead, it should be God in recognition of what you have already done. I choose to surrender my life to you. Because I realize I can do nothing. Our devotion to the Lord cannot be dependent upon God doing what we want him to do. And we are so prone to this church family. We get a glimpse of God and his awesomeness only to demand our selfish way, often to respond. I told God that if he does this, then I'll do this. And I suppose that our uh, empty threat to God serves no purpose in manipulating his mighty hand. Foolish Jacob, he has already promised to be with him, to bless him. And yet he has the audacity to try to manipulate God in his own fleshly way, just as he did in his family. Do we not do the same? So church family, as we think about this, I want you to wrestle with the season you're in today. And I want you to walk out of here reminding yourself that the Lord stands above it all. He's not only in control when things are going the way you think they should. He's not only in control when you feel a sense of joy and satisfaction with where you're at. And He's not only present when life is going good. He's not only present when you're at the peak of your devotional life. He's present in the sorrow. He's present in the grief and the hardship. He's present in the days that are long and you long for them to be different. Because the Lord stands above it all. But at the end of the day, the only hope that we are given is in Jesus. Because you see, church family, I cannot stand here and say that things will get better. I wish I could. But I can tell you there is a hope that is not of this earth that is far better than anything you will endure here. And if you're walking this life looking for this world to get better, you're going to be looking for the rest of your days. It won't happen. And in fact, it's going to get worse. We should not be surprised when it gets worse. But as it gets worse, may we root further into Jesus, the only way to the Father. And may we be able to stand out amongst the culture and declare, my God stands above it all. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as we close, we're going to close in a song that is, it may be new to you, and it's entitled, Over All I Know. And so if it's new to you, I want you to just focus in on the words of this song. And as it becomes familiar, I want you to sing it. And then as we leave here today, I want you to hold fast to that. Because it focuses back in, and it, the... the the bridge of this song, it says, I believe it, I receive it. My God is over all. 
and be reminded that the Lord stands above it all. Would you stand with me? Father, may we fix our eyes on you. May we recognize that you're over it all. Lord, help us to see this clearly through the storms we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen.